0: Hear this reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, indeed he has prepared a city for them the word of the lord
1: when i was a child my paternal grandparents lived in central florida a couple of times a year the five of us in my immediate family would pile into the car and head out on the long journey to visit them i was the youngest of three children and because i was the youngest and the smallest i always got the middle of the bench back seat which inevitably meant I was sitting on the hump. Remember the hump? About an hour into the almost in those days 10 hour journey, the familiar refrain would begin from one or the other of the three children and always taking turns with one another. Hey dad, are we almost there? Mom, how many more miles till we get there? Dad, mom, how much longer? My parents, like all good parents, showed remarkable restraint while this barrage of questioning continued off and on throughout the trip. Somehow they managed not to pull over and either kill us, put us out of the car, or duct tape our mouths closed. My grandparents moved to Central Florida from Birmingham just after I was born, and when I was about a year old, they came to Birmingham and got my then seven-year-old brother and took him back to Florida with them for a two-week visit, the first of us to get to go. Knowing that the rest of us would be coming to retrieve him in a couple of weeks, making the long trip for the first time, he wrote a letter home in pencil in his childish scrawl to give my parents some some advice about the trip. We pulled this letter out from time to time when I was growing up and had a good laugh over it. He said, Dear Mom and Dad, well, we finally got here, but I thought the trip would never end. When you come, you need to watch these one ways, and you will need to stop and eat more than once along the way, or you will surely die. It was his fair warning that the journey was long and hard, and sometimes it even felt like you might not make it all the way. Over the years of making that long road trip, two things helped us have faith that we would, in fact, survive it. One was that we had absolute trust in the goodness and love of the ones who were leading us on the journey. And the second was that the ultimate destination was a wonderful place, a place of sun and sand and ocean, a place of hours spent fishing with my grandfather, of orange trees in the backyard that met fresh squeezed orange juice at breakfast, and the love of our grandparents who were completely besotted with us. The author of Hebrews spends a great deal of time during this letter or what might might better be classified as a sermon, talking about faith. Chapter 11, from which our reading comes today, is often called the roll call of the heroes and heroines of the faith, and in this one chapter, the Greek word for faith is used 26 times. The author begins this chapter with a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. The author then goes on to call to the mind of those reading and hearing these words, the great litany of the saints of Israel, beginning with Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Then in verses eight to 16, which we heard, the author settles in for a while to talk about Abraham and Sarah and the way in which their faith persevered over the long history of their journey with God. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? They were, by those days' standards, a fairly wealthy couple, living a life of plenty and ease in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, with their large extended family, their flocks and herds, enjoying a pretty comfortable life. Abraham was 75 years old, and Sarah was 65, when God first came calling. Just as they were beginning to think about retirement facilities, just as they had found some peace about the fact that Sarah was barren and their longed-for children would not be born, God broke into their settled, orderly lives and called them to leave everything they knew behind, their family, their land, many of their possessions, and set out on a new journey. God promised them that God would give them a promised land flowing with milk and honey, and that they would receive the gift of descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens, their age and Sarah's barrenness notwithstanding. So the author of Hebrews says that they set out, not knowing where they were going. By faith, they set out and began to live as wanderers on the earth living in tents, moving constantly from place to place according to God's call, trusting in the promise of land and progeny, even when their human vision could not see any evidence that the promises would be fulfilled. The journey Abraham and Sarah took with God was not an easy one. The promises of land and children dangled before them like a carrot but the journey took decades and decades. It began when they were 75 and 65, but the promised child was not born until they were 190 years old, respectively. And the land, the wonderful promised land, they never fully possessed it. When Sarah finally died along the way, Abraham had to strike a hard bargain with those who lived in the Promised Land to purchase a cave where Sarah could be buried. The way was long. The journey was hard and filled with grief, disappointments, delays, and times of great danger. I am sure there were many times when Abraham or Sarah faltered in their strength of their faith. We know that when God delivered the promise of a child again after Abraham and Sarah had wandered for decades on the strength of that promise, when Sarah heard the promise coming from the mouths of two angels, she laughed behind the door of the tent when she heard it. That is why they named their child Isaac, which means laughter. Their faith was not perfect. Sometimes Abraham and Sarah lied or cheated. Sometimes their faith in God's vision of the promise faltered, as God's promises seemed too long delayed. And sometimes they manipulated circumstances to try to bring the promises to fulfillment in their own way and on their own timetable, which always resulted in grief and plenty of trouble. But in spite of their occasional faltering faith, for the most part, they trusted in God, the one who had created all that is, who had given them their lives, who had called them to be his peculiar treasure on earth, and who promised that if they would just stick with him, even when the way was hard and the promises seemed far off, God would deliver on every single promise. Two things seemed to have helped them hold on to hope and faith. One was their absolute trust in the goodness and love of the one who was leading them on the journey. And second was that this God they trusted, promised that the longed-for ultimate destination was a place of goodness, of plenty, of rest, of peace, of joy, and steadfast love and grace. The author of Hebrews had a reason to remind the Christian community that received this sermon letter of the need to hold on to faith that perseveres, a faith that hopes and trusts even when our human vision fails, even when the promises of God feel far away. Most modern scholars believe that the letter to the Hebrews was written in the latter half of the first century, at a time when many of the first apostles had died and the earliest churches were struggling with persecution and suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. As this persecution grew stronger, some in the community were abandoning their faith altogether or they had stopped meeting and worshiping with the community. The journey had grown long and hard and the destination they longed to reach, the kingdom of God, seemed very far away and their human eyes could barely glimpse it from a distance. Many were giving up their faith. They grew weary and afraid. They felt their prayers were not not answered as they had hoped. They knew the joy of the faith, but they also knew the very real grief, hardship, and pain of life lived as a Christian in that earliest community. The author of Hebrews is trying to remind them that being called by God into God's family had never meant that life would be easy sailing, that there would not be grief, hardship, suffering, even persecution and death. But the promise of God was to be with them in the midst of whatever came, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the suffering, to be their companion on the journey of faith when the road was easy, and when the road was hard. The promise of God in Jesus Christ was the promise that the destination to which they were headed was a destination that was wonderful, filled with love, joy, goodness, mercy, grace, and redemption. That ultimately God's promise would lead them to resurrection, to new life, if they would just hold on to a faith, that trusted in God and in God's promises, where human vision failed. We know this feeling, don't we? We have been called to be a part of the Christian faith, and we have been called into this particular community of faith. God has promised to be with us and has promised us grace, mercy, joy, justice, and the redemption of all that is broken in our lives And in the world where in the end all will be redeemed and we will receive resurrection to new life but sometimes as we make our way along the journey we experience hardships grief and sorrow illness broken relationships sin that will not let us go tragedies that break our hearts, and we can barely see the destination to which we are headed at the end of our journey, because our eyes are clouded with the tears of the suffering this world sometimes brings. Sometimes we feel like God's promises to us are too long delayed. Sometimes we feel God is far away, and all of us know that like Abraham and Sarah and all of those heroes and heroines of the faith mentioned in this beautiful chapter of Hebrews, we will most likely die without seeing all of God's promises fulfilled. Some of them we will only glimpse from a distance. Professor of Preaching at Columbia Seminary, Dr. Anna Carter Florence, reminded me of a story about our mutual friend, David Bailey, in a sermon recently. David was a Presbyterian singer-songwriter, the son of Presbyterian missionaries to the Middle East. When David was in his late 20s, married with two very small children, in a successful career in the financial industry, he was diagnosed with a stage four glioblastoma and given less than a year to live. He left his job and took up his avocation of music while he underwent radical surgery and many months of chemotherapy and radiation. While he would continue to battle his brain cancer for the rest of his life, he lived, unexpectedly, another 14 years, able to see his children into their teenage years, and he spent those years as a touring musician spending a great deal of time sharing his music and his testimony with churches and Presbyterian conferences and cancer groups. His nickname was the Troubadour of Hope. David used to say that for a solid year after his diagnosis, he would wake up every morning asking the question, Why me, God? And then one day, he woke up and his question changed. He asked, Okay, God, now what? And in that moment, everything shifted for him. His journey would still be long and hard, filled with grief as well as joy. But he decided to trust in the God who had created him and all that is, who loved him with a steadfast and everlasting love, who had redeemed him in Jesus Christ and promised him that the last word in his story Would not be death, it would be resurrection. So in the meantime, in good times and hard times, David decided to keep putting one foot in front of the other on his journey with God, trusting in God even when his human vision failed him, choosing to believe he could trust in the promises of this God of resurrection. Like David Bailey, Abraham and Sarah woke up every day, and instead of asking, why me, God? They asked, okay, God, now what? And they followed wherever God would lead them to go. And oh, the adventures they had together, and the promises God fulfilled. And each day we can wake up, no matter what our circumstances may be, and we can either say, why me, God, or we can say, okay, God, now what? And then we can start putting one foot in front of the other to follow wherever God leads, trusting in him and in his promises, even when our human vision fails, knowing that with God, amazing adventures await us and that God will fulfill all of his promises. Like Abraham and Sarah, our faith will no doubt be imperfect. Sometimes we will doubt that God is with us, that the promises of God will be fulfilled. And we may even try to go our own way at times, trusting in our own vision more than in God's vision. But if we can remember to put our trust in the goodness and love of the one who is leading us on our journey, and that our ultimate destination is filled with wonder and joy, peace and steadfast love and grace, filled with redemption and resurrection, we may find that we can keep putting one foot in front of the other in faithful obedience as we greet God's promises, sometimes only from a distance. The faith of Abraham and Sarah the faith of Jesus and of his disciples and our own faith as Christian people is not a faith that is built that is based on a cheerful, naive optimism. As Nadia Boltz Weber, pastor and writer, has said in a sermon, we Christians are not people of cheery, inspirational posters. We are people of the gospel. We are not people of naive hope. We are people of Easter hope. This is the hope that is still standing after being dredged through Good Friday. Our hope is a gritty hope, and it can only come as a gift from a God who has experienced birth and love and friendship and betrayal and suffering and death and burial and a descent into hell itself. Only a God who has borne suffering can bring us any real hope of resurrection. Faith in this kind of God does not produce cheery optimism. It produces a gritty, defiant hope that God is still writing our story, and that despite the darkness, light still shines, and that God can redeem us, and that beauty matters and that despite every disappointing thing we have ever done or have ever endured, there is no hell from which resurrection is impossible. So friends, no matter what your journey is like today, whether your road is straight, even and easy, or winding, rocky and hard, know that you are accompanied on your journey by the God who created all that is and who gave you your life and who called you by name to start out on your journey of faith. You are accompanied by the God who loves you with a steadfast, everlasting love. You are accompanied by the God who gave you the gift of Jesus, who has redeemed you and who is calling you to keep on walking with him until your journey and all of God's promises reach their final destination in God's kingdom. And by the way, today you get to come to this table and receive some food that will sustain you for the journey, that will strengthen you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Today, I invite all of us to ask, okay, God, now what? And then to take God's hand and trust him to lead us all the way to the promised
0: land. Thanks be to God. Amen.